Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And I'm going to go off topic real quick. Um, I was a bit nauseated before the service, and that's that's actually that's not uncommon for me. Just depending on what's going on in life and, and just in, in ministry. Um, it is specific to what I'll be speaking um, on tonight. This is uh, when I my very first mental health Sunday was here, October 2019, and I spoke three times. And uh, I really put way too much information into that, and that was really, I go back to that and just realize what a train wreck that was, and it's, it's, that has turned into six different um, sessions uh, that God allows me to preach in different churches, and, uh, and, now, and this is session number seven that God has uh, allowed me um, to, to bring, and it's because of, of another experience that I'll be, be talking about um, from, uh, from last year. I know uh, some of you know about it, some of you uh, uh, prayed, uh, prayed uh, um, for us and uh, prayed us through that, um, that tragic event, really. And so this is my second time attempting to preach this message. Uh, this morning, when, when I go into a church and do a mental health Sunday, uh, typically the, the first time there, I do speak specifically on uh, on the drowning in 2014. That was basically my first bout of, of trauma. And then, lo and behold, last year, 2021, uh, God sees fit to allow me to go through a second bout of trauma. Very dark, very intense. Um, and, uh, and, and really, it was... Um, it really felt like I put my feet to the fire and felt like God was saying, okay, um, are you going to practice what you preach, right? You equip people with tools, and let's put you through some fire now, and are you going to make use of these tools? And so that's why it's important to me to be able to uh, uh, to bring a message like this, hope, hoping, and I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through some of these principles, the reason why I'm, I'm doing it here. I'm home, I'm in a safe place, right? If I go fetal position, you guys can just kind of chill for a little bit, right? And just wait for me to, to get, no, I won't go fetal position um, tonight. I mean, I mean maybe later on. But, um, but, but I really think there's, obviously, there's some really important lessons as far as walking through trauma. Um, so this morning, we looked at the decline. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we go down, and we're all human, right? Um, we all, uh, we, we, we see all the highlight reels on social media. We, put, we all post our highlight reels on social media, and, and it's tempting to, to look at everybody's wonderful lives, right, and the wonderful gourmet food that they're always um, making, especially Todd, you know, just making all this wonderful gourmet food that comes out of this, this, this smoker, right, and here we are making mac and cheese, right, right out of the box, not even craft, it's Walmart brand mac and cheese, right, and so we're seeing Todd cook up a storm, and we're making a, a great value mac and cheese here, just feeling sorry for ourselves, so we see our blooper reels, not realizing everybody else has blooper reels. We all do. We're all human, right? And so um, we, we, we will go into these decline seasons of life, right? And, and the hope is if we have some tools, we don't spend too much time down there in the pit. And, uh, and, and if we have some tools, it can prevent some really deep depression or some trauma um, from really um, setting in. Uh, but, but all that to say, I was inspired to, to just make mention of this. Um, this isn't a message for, uh, specifically about anxiety. Uh, but remember, there's, the Bible has, it says so much more about our pain and suffering than just read it and pray, right? And I'm not minimizing that, right? We're, we're to read Scripture. We're to walk with God and pray. But there's just some other tools that God gives us that we just don't think about, Right? And so we talked about this morning how anxiety in Psalm 42, verse number 5, remember the psalm said, why art thou cast down, that's sunken, depressed? Why art thou disquieted in me? There's this noise, this, this commotion that's inside, that's what anxiety is, like there's this constant noise, and, and, and it's hard to really be at peace because of this noise, and, and what anxiety is, is just chaos inside, right? And you're, 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 you're afraid, your, your brain is on high alert. Uh, keeping keeping you safe, and because of that that chaos, that's where we get that uneasiness, right? And so something like music, 
that is very ordered, right? Music has a beat. And some music, some songs are in four, four time. Two, three, four. Some is in three, four time. One, two, three. One, two, three. Some is really crazy, like the fire was practicing this afternoon. Nine, eight time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, what in the world is that all about, right? But nonetheless, it's, it's very orderly. And so in particular, these instruments are wonderful. All of them are, are instruments of praise, or the acoustic guitar, right? The, um, the Baptist piano, which is, this is where they, they started with, uh, with, with worship, right? And, uh, um, and then you've got, this is the devil's, I'm just kidding, all right? Um, but, but all of these are wonderful musics. I mean, I love how Brian just, he throws that stuff out there, and he's just so creative, and, and, uh, and, and so there's all wonderful instruments of praise, and, and you see that, you can study scripture, study the Psalms, I think Psalm 147 in particular that, that comes to mind, and, and you're going to look, it may, it may be 150, or it might be 149, or 140, somewhere in that region, right? And you study these instruments, and some of these instruments are meant to be plucked, right? And some of them, guess what, are meant to be struck, right? The, perc the percussive instruments, they can all be used for God's glory, amen? And in particular, the percussion, I love percussion. I love, I, I love the drums, right? And I'm Baptist, and I love these things, all right? And what that does, I mean, it really makes the beat very definable. And remember, we talked about the brain. The thalamus is taking in sensory information, and it's always aware of what's going on in the environment, and so our brain is reacting to our environment. And so when our environment is chaotic, even if nothing's going on bad for you, I, as an example, I, get, I do some traveling, right? And I'm usually really good about being on time. In particular, if I've got a flight out, right? Yes, I'm Filipino and I'm on time, right? And so, but, but a lot of people, when you go through security, it's stressful for people, right? I mean, you're taking off shoes and your belt and you know, all these different things and everybody is just really stressed out. And I realize when I go through security, my anxiety just kind of, my anxiety level just kind of goes up. My heart starts to race a little bit. I might get nauseated. And I'm not late for my flight. But what is my brain doing? My brain is reacting to everybody else's stress, right? I'm not personally stressed, but my brain sees everybody's stress and what they're trying to do, right? And so our brains will take into account everything that's going and will react to those things. I'm a little bit nauseated for the service. I'm, I'm just a little uneasy about this. I don't know how this is going to go for me. I, I really believe it's important. Then we get to the song service, right? And here we go. We've got the songs going. And all of a sudden, the chaos inside of me, as my brain is really taking in these songs, okay, that's in 4 That's in 3 4. We're going to stay away from 9 8 because that's just a mess. Right? And then my grip and, and you realize and I tap my I, I tap my toes, right? Because that's acceptable. Right? But actually I do more than that. I bob my head. Sorry, I'm from the hood. I will do this. Alright? I bob my head. I used to care, now I don't care. Alright, I'm gonna bob my head. And I hope I don't offend you. I'm not trying to. But you know my my, my I, I'm, I'm reacting to the music, right? I'm keeping time with the music. All right? And my, like I said, I might even do my, my moonwalk one of these days, like this morning, right? I don't do that, right? But what that with music can be very powerful as far as easing our, our anxieties because it's very orderly. You've got very predictable beats, and it keeps going. In particular, if there's a really prominent percussive instrument involved, all right? And so let's be careful with music, though. Right. And so here's one of these things I talked about these different cliches, things that I heard that was really frustrating to me is uh, one of the cures for depression is to go to music, worship music, and let that comfort your heart. And so I would go to music, and music for me was very, very painful. And so of course I'm thinking, what, what's, what's wrong with me? Everybody said you should go to godly music, and, and I know the sense of, well, what is wrong with you? And music didn't comfort you? Hey, I think we just forget what the Bible says about that. If you sing songs to a heavy heart, sometimes it can be like taking away their coat or their sweater in the cold season. For some, for some people who are dealing with depression, dealing with a heavy heart, music can be very painful to them. It's scriptural. 
It says it right there. You read it too. It's in the Proverbs. You read it once a month. You read it every month. realize that's what the Bible says about music and the heavy heart. The one thing that we know now about how the brain reacts to music and to that beat, it could be very effective in easing your anxiety and implementing music to help you with that. And so right away, and that's one thing I already, I already realized. I knew as I was coming into uh, coming into church, and, and you could ask my wife. I had a little bit of time. I was driving a little bit before church, and, but it wasn't a crisis for me because I knew as soon as we got to the song service, this music was going to ease the anxiety, and it's it's gone. It's gone, for the most part, right? It's not, it's not severe. So that's something that, to take note of. If you deal with anxiety, right, instead of listening to the news, how about listening to music? Because the news is probably just going to kick up your anxiety, right? It will replace that with something that our brain will latch on to and then just ease the chaos that's inside. Now, all that says, remember, I'm not a medical professional, all right? I'm school of hard knocks. Pray for me, though. God, God has led me into continuing my education and trauma uh, counseling. And so we do, I do want to better myself for the work of God. But I'm not a medical professional. Also remember, it's rarely one truth that brings healing. It's just like it's, there's not just one truth that you're real passionate about something that's going to bring you closer to Jesus or, or help you grow in your Christian life. If you just latch on to one truth, then you'll, you'll be out of balance. Right? There's, there's multiple truths in scripture that we need to latch on to. Let's say you're just all about evangelism, right? Evangelism is a great thing, but there's other parts to our walk with God that we need to implement into our lives. And the same thing with depression and anxiety. It's never just one thing. It's usually a package of things, principles and parcel things to keep us, um, uh, to keep us healthy. Um, remember that chronic stress moves the balance of power from the rational brain to the reactive brain. Remember we talked about that. You got the prefrontal cortex, right? If the, if the director is the rational part of the brain. It's stress that changes that balance of power because sometimes in moments of emergency or crisis, we don't have time to think about, oh, there's a baseball coming at me at 120 miles per hour. Maybe I should duck. We don't have time to do that, right? And so the brain sees that. We don't have to think rationally and just react. All of a sudden, go to the reactive parts of the brain, right? Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that acute stress. The problem is when that acute stress turns into chronic stress, right? And that trauma, we, that trauma doesn't get resolved, right? And here's the thing about trauma. Trauma literally, literally takes up residence in your nervous system. Deep trauma literally takes up residence. It lives in your nervous system. So it's not something that we can just say, just get over it, right? It's something that's not going to happen just like that. It lives in your nervous system, right? And for example, for me, um, I, I like these, these things are really nice. In Irvine and Newport Beach, there's a, a, a main thoroughfares. Um, it seems like everywhere there's these dedicated right turn lanes, right? And right uh, the, the, the right-hand turn pockets is what a Newport Beach police, uh, police officer told me what they're called, right? This is a turn pocket where you just have to slow down, but you don't have to stop, right? It's just kind of nice. It's kind of convenient to do that. For me, I still have a little bit of trouble in these right-hand turn pockets, and you're going to understand why in just a little bit, right? Why? Because I had a traumatic event that is stuck right in there. This is how the brain works. Remember the hippocampus. It stores these memories, and the brain wants to keep us safe. And so the brain, what the brain does, if something really bad happens, the brain says, we don't want to reinvent that. So it's going to store that memory, and if something similar occurs, it's going to light up that, that panic response, right? And it might happen inappropriately. And depending on the trauma or the chronic stress of our lives, our reactive part of our brain just kind of stays lit up, stays buzzed for a little while, uh, for a little bit longer, maybe constantly. And some people live in this constant state of survival, in this constant state of reactivity, as opposed to rational thought. Trauma literally takes up residence in our nervous system. So we give you context. I, I want to talk about the car accident. And so those of you who are joining us on live stream, um, we're going to have to cut that live stream and be back in about five minutes, all right? And I uh, want to get some content. If you go to church here, 
um, just see me in person, I'll give you all the juicy details, all right? And uh, so we'll we get cut that live stream here in just, uh, just a moment. Yeah, I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. I want to get there just a little bit. And so the title of tonight's message is The Climb, Tools Through Trauma. So the first time through the trauma, and I thought I knew what to do, but what really scared me is all the things that I knew to do. For example, listening to music, reading your Bible, all this stuff, all these things that brought me comfort before in my deep times of discouragement, they didn't comfort me, and it scared me. I wonder what was wrong with me. Didn't realize the Bible just really it says more. And we need to make use of all the tools that God gives us in these things. And so that first week was so, so dark. And, I, and let me tell you that, 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 that first, first, first couple of nights, I didn't get any sleep. And here's the crazy thing about traumatic events, things that, re- that, that happen, bad things that happen into our lives, that cascade of thoughts come at you. All these different thoughts and all these different memories come, and they all come at one time. I mean, multiple thoughts, literally like a dozen thoughts, they all come at one time, but I was keenly aware of every single individual thought. You understand the processing power in the brain that allows that to happen? To process every single thought that's coming at the same time? That's why these things are so physically exhausting. The brain power that's being used with emotion and all these things and processing all these different things. But I knew now what I had to do. I didn't know. I will tell you this. I didn't think it was survivable. I really, one of my thoughts was like, there's no way you survive a second bout of trauma. There's just no way. I'm done, right? I I honestly, that's what I believed. But I at least took the first correct steps to get someone to hold my hand through this and encourage me through this and remind me of the tools that I preach to help me climb out of this this pit. Matthew 22, verse number 36, we look at this. We're gonna start, we're gonna just, we're gonna start here and springboard off of this thought. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? That's a good question, right? It feels like a kind of trivial. What's the most important commandment of the law, right? Well, he's gonna answer it. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Right? That's kind of predictable. What's the most important? Love God with all your heart. Now, Jesus, this is so important. Number two is so important that Jesus Christ decides to go ahead and give it even though they didn't ask. You notice that? They said, what's the greatest? They're like, well, what's, give us the top three commandments. Lord, you ever do that? Love doing that to people. What are your top three favorite restaurants in Orange County, right? What are your top three favorite things to eat when you're stressed out? Don't, don't do that. That's bad coping, right? Well, you, they, nobody was asking him for this top two. They said, what's the greatest? Well, here's the greatest. But you know what? It's so important that you know what's second, what's next. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you even though you didn't ask. So look at it there. Verse number 38. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, verse 39, is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Huh. So the second, it's, it's much like it, he says. And we'll let you process that on your own. Just chew on that. It's much like it. Loving the Lord, your God. The second, it's kind of like that. What? See, love your neighbor as yourself. And I know as Christians, we don't like a term, this term self-love, self-esteem, Right? But we're told, here's a second grace command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're disgusted with yourself, you'll not love your neighbor as you should. Appreciate you telling the story about Mike Weaver, that wonderful song, I've Been Redeemed. He looked in the mirror and he was so disgusted with himself. And then God spoke to him and said, you know what, Mike? I love your smile. And the smile is so powerful. Right? And I believe, there's no doubt in my mind that the Lord gave that to Mike Weaver. Right? Just that one little thing. And maybe, you know what? Hey, God loves that about me. I could love that about me. There's some stuff I really don't like. There's stuff I could wish I could be better. But you know what, God? You gave me this smile. Right? He could use that for God's glory. Right? 
But if you don't like yourself, if you don't love yourself as you should, you will not love your neighbor properly. Self-love. So we don't like this. This is psychobabble right here. Self-care. This is all self-centered humanistic stuff. No, it's not. It's biblical. It's biblical. I'm going to get to that here. And look at that next verse there. Of these, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These two right here. Love God with all your heart. Then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so that is an obvious command to love yourself properly. The way that God loves you. How, what God sees in you. And remember, God sees you through the filter of Jesus Christ's blood. Amen? And so you have worth, you have value, you are loved deeply by the creator of this universe. You can love yourself, it's okay. We're not comfortable with that, I know. But it is scriptural. It is scriptural. Let me give you another verse. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Do we have that on a slide? We do. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. What's it saying? Consider yourself. Here's another thing sacred cow in, in Christianity, when you're, when you're uh, struggling with depression or discouragement, get your eyes off of yourself and put it on other people. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? But it'll destroy you because you do have needs. Oh, we're so uncomfortable with this, aren't we? We're so uncomfortable. You have needs and they need to be met as well. Didn't get one amen on that one. We're not, un we're not comfortable with that, right? I mean, here's the thing. So if we are, okay, let's, let's talk spiritual then. Like, let's talk Christianese. So we're here, we're, we're here to meet one another's needs, right? Right? We're here, we're, we're here to, you're here to, to meet somebody else's need, right? But if you meet somebody else's need, aren't you helping them to be self-centered and carnal? because we shouldn't be concerned with our own needs, right? But think about that, come on, let it get in, come on. Let's, we're, we're trying to, 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 to reprocess our thoughts here because that's what's driving us as believers crazy, right? So okay, what's gonna help me is I, I get my, my mind off of myself and I just start meeting other people's needs and I get it, I get the heart behind that, but there's some things that need to be taken care of in you as well and that's okay, that's okay. So it says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So this is a directive to church leaders, to pastors, right? And God is saying, hold on a second, yes, you've got a flock to take care of, but what's listed here first is take heed to yourself. And so if the pastor doesn't take care of himself, he can't take care of the flock properly. Mom, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll not take care of your kids properly. Dad, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll not take care of your family properly. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock. So it's about healthy people trying to help other people be healthy, right? But then that's why God gives to the church is diversities of gifts and diversities of stuff, right? And there's some of you here that are maybe more healthy in other areas than, than me or other people, and we need you to help us not look down on us, Right? And so here's this issue of self-care, self-love. I don't really like that term either, but love thy neighbor as thyself, all right? All right, so take care of yourself so you can take care of others, so you can love your neighbor. And really, that's the key into staying mentally and spiritually healthy. Whether it be, hey, you don't, this isn't just for those who've gone through traumatic events, some of you are just going through real chronic stress in your life, right? You work in a toxic environment, and, and, and so you have to work there. But as we talked about this morning, hey, if you can't relieve stress, then you have to release stress, right? Stress is the killer. And these traumatic events are very, very stressful. All right, so here's the difference. Here's the big difference between my first bout of trauma and second bout of trauma. Here, number one, here's the first thing. Number one, I reached out to my mentor. I reached out to my mentor. All right, so here's the literal thing. Yes, I was a pastor. When, when the drowning occurred, I, 
I kept this thing secret for about three years and panic attacks set in and I needed to be under the care of a licensed professional, a therapist. I saw a therapist. You okay with that? Some you didn't answer. I understand the unease of that. I would have not been comfortable with that. I probably would have bemoaned therapy, not ever, ever been through therapy at all. How do we do that? We talk bad about something that we never experienced, right? You've never been through it, right? You take somebody else's word for it. Someone had a bad therapist. That's possible. But some people have bad plumbers, bad dentists. Never going to see a dentist again in your life? No, there's a human element to it. I need it. You, you might not. Praise the Lord for that. I needed it. I was suffering. I needed some guidance. I was blessed. I do believe it is ideal if you could be under the care of a believer. And I was under the care of a man who was a licensed therapist, but he was also a pastor of a Baptist church. One church now for 39 years. He's pastor the same church for 39 years. But he had specialized training. That's what I needed, right? And so he was my therapist and helped me heal from this. And then he became my mentor as we started the climb and started to minister in this way. And then when this thing hit, he became my therapist again. I needed it. I remember calling him. <laughs> He'd asked my wife. I was just weird. I told him what was happening. I think I left a message at first. And he called me back, and he was so giddy. He said, Jay, this never happens twice. This is amazing. God is going to use this in such an incredible way. I'm like, Doc, what are you talking about? This is awful. There's no surviving this. It's like, no, Jay, this never, I've never seen anything like this where somebody goes through something again. I'm telling you, God's got something really planned for it. And he was so giddy. I wasn't ready for that. But he did have a point. I see it now on this side of it. That's why I'm trying to speak on it, right? I see the importance of it. But I reached out. First time through, I didn't reach out to anybody. Why? Because all I need is God, right? All I need is God. If I have Jesus, that's all I, that's all I need. Sounds really spiritual. It does. So I'm like, where are you going with this? You tell someone you need Jesus, they need Jesus, what does that mean on a practical level? Who is the body of Christ? Right here. So go ahead, tell people they need Jesus, but then put some work to it and be Jesus with skin on. We're the body of Christ. That means we need other people. If you like to study, you, if you like to study the Word of God, just plug into your, your Bible program, one another, one to another, right? And you'll see this, and you'll have this incredible study of the church and how it's supposed to function as this family and having this one another mentality. We need one another. We're not designed as creatures to go through this life by ourselves. We are not designed that way. We need one another. Also, this morning, we talked about how Moses, he said, I can't do it by myself. And God said, okay, we're going to get 70 men. This is Okay. You're right, you can't do it by yourself. I'm like, oh, I thought you were going to beat me up over that because all the other Christians said, yeah, you don't need anybody else. They say, you do, you need 70 people. God says, we're going to find 70 men who are mature, who are strong and faithful. I mean, so here's the thing. So this mentor, this spiritual leader, the spiritual guide, they do have to be faithful and mature, right? You probably don't need to go to a junior high girl about it, right? I'm not trying to be offensive, but you know what I'm saying. Someone who's who's walked through some valleys, right? Someone's walked with God for a long time, right? They could be your mentor and they could, a, a, a good godly friend can help guide your thoughts. A well properly trained counselor, depending on what you've been through, or I can help guide your thoughts and help you process your emotions. I reached out to my mentor, reach out, reach out. Once again, I'll say it, if it takes 70 people to help you, that's okay. Moses needed 70 people. Moses was a pretty big deal in Scripture, all right? Number two, I took time off. I took time off. pastor was so gracious. I said he stayed with me there. I don't know, it was three hours plus there. He drove me home, right? And he said, you take your time. He didn't give me a time frame. 
before I, I, I felt guilty about that first time through trauma. Um, the angel's back here today, and I think we both took um, Monday off, right? He was working at the church at the time, and we were back at it Tuesday, right? And remember, angel, he literally drowned, just lost his best friend, and we're back at it. He's up on the roof. He's, there, he's doing some roofing work at the church, and I don't remember what I was doing, but I was doing something I shouldn't have been, right? I took time off. When this car accident occurred, it was a Wednesday night, I actually had a mental health meeting scheduled that Sunday. I canceled it. I felt bad at first. But I knew I, I shouldn't be doing that right now. And I was hoping he would reschedule. He never did. That's a bummer. But God has replaced all those meetings tenfold. Praise God. You can keep praying for me to, to find the right balance. I'm booked into 2024, and people care about this subject. People care. But I, I canceled that meeting. Why? I needed to take time off and let my body, or like I said, just processing all these thoughts and emotions, it's exhausting. It, it's really exhausting. And you just need to give yourself, since I wasn't sleeping at night, I would just kind of be groggy at the day, and sometimes I would nap in the daytime, and sometimes you have to do that. So if you can take some time off, you're, you've gone through something bad, or you're just frustrated, hey, take some time off if you can. One of the healthiest things that you can do for yourself you know, no, no traumatic event, all right? was one of the healthiest things you can do for yourself is to max out your vacation time. You need to rest. You need to take some time off. Max out your vacation time. Let's say, okay, you're going through something. You're going through something right now. There's just some chronic stress and you can't take time off from work. Well, take time off from life. And I said, it's okay. You just take a day off and, and make it kind of a Sabbath type of day, and you can let the dishes pile up for a day. It's all right. You can mow the lawn a different day. Find a way to take some time off and rest. And a lot of times, here's what happens with believers. We're all busy. You work your five days a week, right? And, and, and you come to church on Sunday. And, and, and so Saturday is the only day you get to mow the lawn or run some errands. And so your day off isn't really a day spent with rest. It's a day taking care of other stuff. And so you're not truly resting because you're taking care of other responsibilities. And so maybe that right now, you're just in this weird time where like, man, nothing bad happened, but I'm down, I'm heavy, I'm lacking motivation. What in the world's going on? You need to truly rest and have fun and let your brain rest. I mean, so don't do anything that's work-related and and let the, do the chores some other day. It's, it's okay. And, 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 and letting your brain recover by just doing stuff that don't take any mental energy, sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you can do. Right? Some men just like to fish. Just vegging out. That's spiritual, Jay. Sometimes it is. You need to take a break. So I took time off. I took some time off, allowed myself a chance to rest. Number three, I verbalized my thoughts and questions. Now, this is big. This is big. Why don't you say, I think we have a, the verse, Psalm 32. Is that, do I have a slide on that? Psalm 32, verse number three. Now, catch this. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old. Okay, now catch that. Your bones waxed old, right? It used to be, I say I fell I'd get right back up. If I fall, I'm staying down there a little while, right? And then when I, tr when I feel like I'm getting up, you're going to hear snap, crackle, pop. You know, it's just like stuff is like, what in the world is going on? I just need to, you know, I need to lube up some of the, you know, some of the joints, right? I mean, just because I'm, I'm pushing 50 now. Right? It's different, right? I'm 47. I just, I don't know. I, I like how that sounds. I'm, almost, I'm pushing 50 because I believe old guys rule, Amen. And so, you know, it, it's just a term that means you're aging, right? Your, bat, your, your, your bones waxed old. But so when you keep silence, it ages you. It's physically unhealthy. And so pretty much everyone here knows what I'm talking about. Let's say you've got some pent-up frustration and you hold it inside. It doesn't feel good. It's literally, it's physically unhealthy for you. And so it says here, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old. And catch this, 
through my roaring all the day long. I said, wait, wait a minute. When I kept silence through my roaring all the day long, so what's going on here? Am I keeping silence or am I roaring all the day long? You're doing both. Because when you keep silence, you're holding in this emotion, this pent-up emotion, this frustration, this anger. You're still roaring on the inside. And that's what's killing you. That's what's killing you. That's what, like I said, with men, when, when men come to me, he says, man, Brother Jay, I don't know. I didn't go through anything you went through. It's like, well, you know, what's going on? They start asking questions. They just don't talk. Men don't talk. We're afraid of our feelings. I mean, we'll talk about guns, right? We'll talk about sports. And then we talk about being hurt. We don't want to talk about stuff like that. I don't know what we are. But here's, men, I, I'm telling you, you're killing yourself physically. And, and so I knew that was one of the mistakes I made the first time through. I just didn't talk to anybody. I didn't even talk to my wife. I was just so embarrassed. I mean, one of the, one of the challenges was that when, when I would talk about it, I would cry, and I was just so sick of crying. I didn't want my wife to see me cry. And I know that's ridiculous, but that's just where I was. But this time I knew I had to verbalize my thoughts and questions. And here's part of the power of that. Externalizing gives the brain a second chance at rational, logical processing. You ever just have thoughts? You know, you're just thinking about stuff, and you're frustrated, you're mad, you're confused, right? As long as there are thoughts in here, they all sound legitimate, right? When they're in here, they all sound good. You ever just say it and realize, oh, no, that's dumb, <laughs> right? So what has happened? We've externalized it, we've verbalized it, so it's come back into the brain through the ears, and it's given a second chance at rational processing as opposed to just emotional reactivity as it's just bouncing around in our heads, right? Sometimes just saying things out loud helps us process it properly. It's an opportunity for encouragement and positive affirmation. You talk to the right person, someone who will listen, someone who will encourage you through that, someone who will remind you of some important truths. And I knew it. So I knew it was a struggle. I knew my thoughts were irrational. And I knew it was the emotional part of my brain just kicking in. But I knew I had to verbalize it. And so what I would do with my wife, I, I, would, uh, um, I, I would qualify it this way. I would say this. I said, hon, all right, I know this is garbage. I know this is garbage. It wasn't enough for me to think. I knew I had to verbalize it. I said, hon, I know this is garbage, but I'm cursed. I said it. And when I say it, I realize I'm not cursed. But then I also, then I get that second affirmation from her. She says, you know, you know that's not true. So I know it's not true. But I sure feel cursed. You see where it turned? Okay, I know this is garbage, but I'm, I'm cursed. Start to logically think about it. It's like, uh. And then I get the affirmation from her. No, you're not cursed. You know, that's not true. It's like, you know what? I feel cursed. And so I process that properly and realize that's how I'm feeling. The fact is I'm not cursed. It was a tragic accident. It wasn't even my fault, right? And then eventually the feelings catch up to the facts, right? Another thought. And I made a mistake moving here. That was a thought. And we love Orange County. We love the area. It's like, what in the world? We were fine there in the 909, the Valley of the Dirt people, right? Loved it. I did, right? I was like, what? We made a mistake. Moving out here. This, but I, I said it and realized, no, we, of course we didn't. We're following God, right? I verbalized. I verbalized my thoughts and questions. You need to talk. A lot of times people will heal just because they have the freedom to talk. I promise you. People will heal just because they have the freedom to talk. Um, number four. Is that where we are? I did not hold in my emotions. I didn't hold in my emotions this time. You know, holding in emotions is really tiring. Really bad for your health, too. So I cried. I let myself cry. Still cry. I wasn't right. I thought I would go back to try. I went to church the following Sunday, and not very many people knew. I literally a handful of people knew what was going on. And, um, and I cried at church, and I still cry at church, but it was a different kind of crying. The following Wednesday, I was feeling good, but then I was just hit with something. I was like, okay, I, didn't, I just didn't want to cry in front of people. And so I, I gave myself time off. I took another Wednesday off of church. I did. I did. Why? So I can cry. This is a different level of crying, right? You know, the Bible says this, and I know I've mentioned this, but this is one of my big light bulb moments the first time through, is that 
Comfort comes with a prerequisite, right? The comfort of God. Jesus Christ said it. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? So if the comfort of God seems elusive, maybe you're not meeting the requirement of mourning. Mourning is a gift. Grief is a gift. It allows us, it helps us to accept what's real. The loss of a loved one, that's very real. And grieving allows us to get to that place where we accept reality, right? The loss of a dream or ambition, it's real. It was important to you and it's okay to mourn it. You need to mourn it. And if you're going to be comforted by God, Jesus, Jesus Christ himself said it. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Stop holding an emotion. Give yourself the freedom to be human and let yourself do what you need to do. Number, whatever number it is. I was intentional about getting exercise and sunshine. I was intentional about getting exercise and sunshine. I don't have a Bible verse on this, but we do know how the body works now. And the, the research is incredible on this. And, and let, me, let me qualify it this way. I'm not saying, whereas I, I'm on, on, on this side, I certainly am saying we shouldn't um, uh, go right to medication. We, we shouldn't, we're, we're over-prescribing for sure. But at the same time, I will say sometimes medication is necessary and needful and appropriate. It is, all right? And if you're not a medical doctor or that person's your friend's medical doctor, then you shouldn't give medical advice, all right? So sometimes it is appropriate. God gives us tools, and we could even look at biblical um, examples of that. If you want to look up uh, Hezekiah and how God healed him from, uh, from his early death sentence, all right? And, and you, you can see that where God says, okay, you're healed, but now go take this. You look it up. All right, give you some homework if you're, if you're interested in, in that biblical principle, all right? And so, but the, the research is incredible that if you just get, if you take a brisk walk three or four days a week, 20 minutes a day, all right, the research is showing that to be at least as effective, but most of these, these studies are showing it's more effective than antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. A brisk walk, you need to get your heart rate up. All right? So brisk walk is not your wife window shopping at the mall. All right? That's not a brisk walk. All right? A brisk walk is you on December 24th going through the mall and trying to get your last, you know, uh, your, 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 your last gifts, right? Or, or right before your wife's birthday or your anniversary. I mean, that's brisk walk. I mean, you have to get the heart rate up. There has to be some, some, uh, some effort in this thing. And there's just incredible things of what the body does, and it's spitting out some really important neurotransmitters and stuff like that that help relax the brain, calm the brain, calm the body, so that the brain can heal. And here's a, a really important fact about trauma, right? Remember, trauma literally lives inside our nervous system, right? Until the body feels safe, the mind won't heal, right? The body has to feel safe. Remember, if you've been through some type of trauma, especially some type of childhood trauma, then your brain is in the survival mode. It's always on the alert, right? And so it's, it's more sensitive to stuff, and we have these triggers. All of us have these different things that are going on. And remind our bodies that, you know, we're not always in danger, and there's different modalities of that. And exercise and sunshine, getting vitamin D, right? Um, if I find myself in the Pacific Northwest in particular, and it's, it's cloudy the whole time, I, I make sure I take my vitamin D, right? This is just important to me, and there's, that's just something you can Google. I was intentional. Here's the thing, so remember this morning, we talked about the, the dorsal vagal region of the brain, and that's the part of the brain that says shut down and freeze and don't move. That's why when people struggle with depression with anxiety, oftentimes they just can't get out of bed. It's really hard to get out of bed. And we just assume you're just being lazy, right? But if you've been there and dorsal vagal is just doing its thing, it's like, man, I can't be. You just lack motivation, and it's terrible. Now, you can get out of bed. I remember that feeling and just waking up and right away, and hey, nothing's changed. Why? Why do anything today? I feel the same way. I still feel heavy. Why get out of bed? And willing yourself out of just that takes so much effort, right? But I knew I couldn't lay there. 
as much as I wanted to, I knew I couldn't lay there, but it was a lot of effort getting myself out of bed. And even just taking the first step, at least getting out of bed and sitting in the backyard and just letting the sunshine hit my skin. And there's just some powerful physiological, neurological stuff that's happening when the sunshine is hitting your skin, I promise you, right? And then that just woke me up enough to where, you know what, I can go and take a walk, right? I can go and do this and just start to give our, give our bodies the best chance at healing that, 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 it, that it can have. Next, I allowed others to go out of their way for me, right? We need a break. Raising our, our autistic one, our oldest, just speaking in code a little bit because he's here, all right? It's just work. It's effort. There really isn't a break, but I needed a break, right? So we're just here, brand new, don't really know anybody, right? And so our support system is still 45 miles away. But they offered, says, what can we do for you? Right? What can we do for you? And so we accepted the help. And people drove 45 miles, came, hung out with our big boy, and me and Breno went out and spent some time at the beach or different places that really are really helpful for me. And I needed this time, this break, and let people help us. Galatians chapter 6, I won't go, I just got to hit it really quickly. All right? In Galatians chapter 6, there's the word burden, it's used twice. In one verse, it says, um, every man will carry his own burden, right? But in another verse, it says, bear ye one another's burdens. What in the world? We have a contradiction here. Are we supposed to bear one another's burdens, or is each person supposed to bear their own burden, right? These are two different Greek words. The one burden that says, everyone will bear his own burden, that word means um, a responsibility, a task. So think of that as your backpack. Everybody can carry their own backpack. Everybody has their own responsibilities and tasks. You can take care of your walk with God. You can read the scriptures every single day. You can have your time of prayer. You can do those things, right? And then bear one another's burdens. Whole different word. It means a load. Now we're not talking about a backpack. We're talking about a pallet full of burdens and hurts and trials. And if you try to carry that yourself, you'll hurt yourself. But if you have a pallet full of stuff that needs to get carried, we had to move this piano right? And if I try to do that by myself or anybody else, I'm going to hurt myself, right? But it took, I mean, how many guys did it take to move this thing, right? One person, if four people try to do it, they're going to hurt themselves. But it took, what, a dozen men to move that thing? But if you got a piano that needs to be moved, you need help. And sometimes in life, life drops a piano load of hurt and you can't carry it yourself. You need other people to help you with it. You need other people to help you carry that. So let people go out of their way for you. People want to help you. People do. I know when you're hurting, you don't want to be a burden, but people want to ease your burden. I intentionally pushed back shame. Right? There's nothing good about shame. Right? Jesus Christ took that away. Jesus Christ took away a shame. There's, there's no more condemnation. Right? I pushed back shame. There's nothing for me to be ashamed of. Right? So I had to intentionally push that away. Next, I gently exposed myself to troubling activities. And this was important. This time I knew it, and now I had, I had, had, had Dr. Pasquini, my, my mentor, and he's back into therapy mode. And, and uh, I made the mistake the day after the accident. I, I got in the car, and I went, and uh, somebody had come over. Brenda's sister had come, and I just figured I'd go and go get lunch. And so I got in the car, and I'm going somewhere, and all of a sudden heart starts to race. I get nauseated. I get panicky. I was like, ah, what am I doing? I should have known better. Went back home, got home safely. I was like, nope, can't drive yet. Right? So I didn't drive for a couple days. But doc reminded me, okay, we don't want PTSD to set in. So what you're going to need to do, just drive. Can you drive around your neighborhood, just quiet neighborhoods? Yes, I can. Even if it's just 30 seconds. Drive down the street a little bit, turn around, come back and park. Can you do that? I says, I can do that. Remember the first time I did it, I drove a little bit, heart started to race, came back, everything was safe. What am I doing? I'm reminding my body that I'm not always in danger. Because my, my brain was still in this survival mode. Something as bad is going to happen whenever you sit in this position, right? But I had to remind my brain that's not always so. You do your part, you be careful, right? And then so a little bit later, I was able to drive a little bit further out, Right? And then a little bit further. Couldn't drive at night for a long time. Brenna drove at night. Sounds lame, maybe, but it was the truth. And so I didn't drive at night, and Brenna drove at night. Took many months of that. 
I can drive at night now. I got better, but there were some steps to take. And so it's okay for a while for me. It's like, okay, I'm not driving for a couple days, but I did have to get back to it. And depending on what you've been through, it might take some guidance for someone to say, okay, you know what? We need to face something, but let's do it gently. Not all at once, right? And probably don't, don't go driving around Fashion Island for a little while, right? To do with some wisdom, with some guidance. But I did have to gently expose myself to some troubling activities incrementally to remind my brain it's okay. It's okay. Something bad is not going to happen every single time you drive, right? And then lastly, I extended grace to myself. This is big. We have trouble with this as believers. Now, you think about this. Would you put Acts 20? Is Acts 20 on that? Uh, 2028, do we have a slide on that? No? Okay, yeah. Back to this. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Or consider yourself. All right. So when somebody, let's say you're dealing with somebody, and they drop the ball on something, or, or they're doing something that's less than ideal, you, we tend to be very gracious to other people, right? Well, think about that. We tend to be gracious. We're, we're, we're easy to extend grace to other people. But when we mess up, we are really hard on ourselves. For some reason, it's harder for us to extend grace to ourselves than we extend grace to other people. Now think about that. Hold on a second. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you will be less gracious to other people if you're not gracious to yourself. We should be gracious people, right? So extend grace to ourselves. So I wasn't ready for this. I needed to take time off. I have to be very intentional. Even right now, today in my life, I have to be very intentional in my self-care, right? I could could get out of balance very quickly. There are times that I I get overwhelmed with my counseling load or what have you, and I have to to pull back for a little bit or or set appointments down the line. And I've done that to a few of you, and I thank you so much for your patience. And, And I ask, I beg you, don't ever stop coming to me. I promise I'll, I'll get back to you, but sometimes, you know what, hey, I might take a couple days to get back to you, right? But I do. I'll best help you if I help myself, right? That's for every pastor, every church leader in here, anybody you think of as a mentor, and we give each other much grace. It's like, okay, you know, they need to step away a little bit. They need to take a break. They deserve a break, Right? At the same time, so there's a balance that doesn't mean, hey, I don't want to be a burden. No, we want to help you. And so extend grace to yourself. Don't kick yourself while you're down, right? You don't do that to other people. Don't do it to yourself, right? Here's some tools. Whether you're going through a traumatic event or just going through some stress in life or how about just prevention, all right? I said this morning, prevention is better than intervention. If we need to intervene as a church family, we'll intervene. We'll get 70 people to help you. But if we can prevent, right, take care of yourself, then we can take care of one another. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.